From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching Justina Machado. She plays Penelope Alvarez on the pop TV series One Day at a Time. Justina takes me back to the moment she realized everything would change because of the pandemic. I remember being in the green room in our dressing room and just being like, oh God, should I touch that? Should I touch this? I was, I was like, should I let that sound guy touch me? It was like all of these crazy things. Justina also discusses making a new animated special episode of One Day at a Time and her character's on-screen relationships that have fans talking. Here we go. Thanks so much for joining us, Justina. Thank you. So tell our listeners where you're doing this interview from. I'm doing it from my bedroom. (laughs) I'm sitting on my bed and I I literally just combed my hair for like the first time in two days. So you're welcome. (laughs) It's beautiful. I really like it. So how how are you doing during this time? How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling uneasy. You know, I think like a lot of people are. I mean, I have a lot of gratitude because of the situation that I'm in. So I'm I'm grateful. I'm very grateful that I'm not in a situation. You know, it's it's psychological and emotional. Thank God it's not physical. Like, you know, I, I'm not lacking anything. It's some days are fantastic. And some days I'm just like, oh, my God. So that's how I'm doing. I have a lot of the oh my God days, a lot. It's a very confusing time right now. Like, what are you finding that you're doing a lot of in this moment? I'm finding that I'm doing a lot, a lot more self care than I did on those, uh, you know, when we're going and going and going and we're not thinking about things. So a lot more, a lot more self care. Yeah. And in every way, I feel, I know that that is happening right now. Are you like the rest of us watching a lot of TV? Oh my God, girl. Ridiculous TV. I'm almost embarrassed. I mean, I go from things that make sense that are great to like ridiculous things. Like I have been obsessed with 90 Day Fiance. I have never seen anything like that in my life. And it's my new favorite show. (laughs) You're not the first podcast guest to tell us this. (laughs) I cannot believe it. That stuff makes me feel like I'm the most normal person in the world. And I'm like, thank you, God. Wow. I I love 90 Day Fiance. I'm not going to lie. I have really been into that. And of course, being a Chicago native, The Last Dance has had me crazed. I go crazy for the Sundays. I can't wait. So that's been amazing. How how are you finding the chronology? Are you following along okay? Is that just me? It's interesting because my brother made a comment yesterday. Like he said, oh my God, I, I, I'm tired of them jumping back and forth. And, and I get a little confused too. But the reason it's not so confusing for me is because I was there. Do you know? So I was like there. I left Chicago in 1994. So I was there for like their first three And then I was in L.A., their next three. So I can get it together because of that. But yeah, but you know what? I don't care because I'll take Bulls and Jordan all day long. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm hearing some people are finding six feet under for the first time. I'm wondering, like, are you find are you getting tweets to that effect? Like anecdotally, like hearing from people finding some of these, like even ER or other shows that you've been on. I get more tweets with ER, which I think is really interesting and stuff that I was barely in. Like 
I did an episode of Grey's Anatomy. I did a couple episodes of like Ugly Betty and people like bring those up. I'm shocked that I'm not getting more six feet under, you know, but I get that more in person. But yeah, I'd love for people to discover it. It, it, It's a great show. It still holds up to this day. So it's a different world, man. We're young as hell. Freddie and I look like babies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, that was me. (laughs) The good old days. Oh, I hear you. I mean, you were you were in an interesting predicament. I mean, the fourth season of One Day at a Time was on the brink of its release. And it was this, you know, triumphant return after getting canceled by Netflix. But then productions started to shut down, including One Day at a Time. And you guys only had half the season shot. So what was going through your mind as everything was happening? As everything was happening, I think more than anything, I was wanted to keep the crew and the cast safe. That was my number one thing. I remember the day that it happened. We had just done the talk, the the cast, and, and Rita hadn't done it because Rita was already starting to, you know, be nervous. And I remember I came home that day and I called my executives and I said, guys, I'm not feeling safe anymore. What are we going to do? What are we going to do to feel safe? And this was like March 13th, March 14th. And then they had a conversation And that's when they all came back and they said, "Okay, we're going to go on an extended hiatus, which is what everybody ended up doing. Because that day that I had that conversation, I got like three phone calls from three of my friends of their productions being shut down. So I think I just wanted to keep Rita safe, keep ourselves safe, you know, um, keep the family safe. And then now we're in a predicament where we don't know when we're going to go back. And that's okay. I mean, as frustrating as it is and as as nerve wracking as it is for many artists and many people that work on crews and uh, plays and all of that, we have to be safe first. Right. So that's the number one thing. So I'm hoping that that's something that we figure something out quickly so that we are as quickly as possible. Of course, I want it to be safe, but I'm hoping there's some sort of something that tells us something about what's happening in our industry. What was that? What was it like being at the talk during this sort of like time when it was happening? So weird, girl, because it was like it was the beginning. So you're trying not to be too much of a weirdo. But like the 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 women at the talk, um, the producers came up to us and they said, you know, no touching. No. And we were like, absolutely. We feel the same way. Uh, so even we sat across from each other. We social distanced even then. But there wasn't so much panic yet. You know, but it was still kind of like the beginnings of it. So I'm so grateful. Knock on wood. Thank God that nobody in our production, everybody is safe and and healthy. Well, and, you know, the fourth season came at a good time. I mean, people are home and watching more TV than ever before to sort of help pass time. But like I said, you couldn't complete the season. So how does it feel to sort of release one day at a time during this ordeal, only being able to give us those six episodes? I mean, it's a bittersweet type of thing, I would imagine. It's a situation that is interesting. But when you take yourself out of it, like I can, if I just think about myself, if I just think about myself and the journey of this show, then you'll be like, oh my God, can the show get a break? (laughs) If you think about it this way, but then if you think about what's been going on in the world for like, you know, these many years, you're like, oh my God, can the world get a break? Right. So I think I'm more with can the world get a break right now? It is very ironic and and crazy that we fought so hard to get the show back. The fans fought so hard. 
you know, Sony, the executives, pop TV, and then this happens, right? But then everybody's in the same boat. So you can't really, you can't really be a crybaby about it because everybody's in the same situation. But let's see what happens. I mean, I have faith that hope, I mean, we still don't know if we'll be back. It's, it's the same thing with one day at a time since the beginning of time. I don't know. <laughs> Never has a show been named so, so like great. It's like one day at a time. Are we coming back? Is it coming back? What are we doing? I don't know. So true. It makes me sad. <laughs> but the show is also finding ways to adapt with what's going on. There's an upcoming animation special and it will sort of center around Penelope, which is the character you play, and her conservative family visiting and like her sort of dreading discussions about politics that might happen. And I guess the conceit is that Alvarez family spends the episode discussing ways to get through it. And there will be these fantasy sequences. And it's my understanding that this was at least the idea of the episode was already in the works before all this. Right. Like not that I don't know about the animation portion, but the the premise of the episode. Yes, because all of the episodes were already written before we came on for the fourth season. So you know that our scripts change constantly, even though they break it down. When we get down and we read it, you know, we change what needs to change. Uh, but they always have this, they always have all stories broken. That's the, that. So that was a story that Gloria was supposed to direct an episode. It was supposed to be episode 11. And it's such a beautiful episode. And as you just described, and and it kind of fits with the animation because we have so many like sequences of fantasies, of dreams, of stuff like that. So that works. The animation was Gloria called me one day and said she was discussing it with her husband or, or somebody. I don't know who came up with the idea, but she's like, oh, my God, an animation episode. I said, wow, that would be great. And literally she said it. And three or four weeks later, we were working on it. It's so smart of her and it's so incredible of the team to get it together and do this really, uh, it's a powerful episode. It really is. So I'm, I'm very interested to see what it's going to look like animated and what the Alvarez family is going to look like animated. So how was it to work on that episode remotely? What was, what was it like for you? So in the time of Corona. So what, what it was like was we had somebody come and build a studio in our house. So it wasn't a building of a studio, but it was like, you know, I didn't have a room that was good for recording, you know, so they had to come and put like uh, speakers up and barriers up. And then I had uh, a mic in front of me. The man that was recording us, uh, the engineer, was literally on my patio outside my door recording me. And then I was on in my house. So weird. So weird. And then we had everybody on Zoom, all the executives, the directors, you know, and then I have this poor man that I don't even know in the sun on my patio. I felt so bad. (laughs) I was like, I feel so bad. It it was hot as hell, too. It was so hot. He had like a little umbrella. I am like, I pobrecito outside there. But, you know, times of the corona. (laughs) Were you throwing him bottles of water? I mean. He had to come in a couple of times and my brother made so much fun of me. He's like, oh, my God, you should have seen yourself when he was he had to like adjust the mic. And I was like this. I was like trying to stay like 20 feet away from him. This shit is stressful, man. (laughs) (laughs) Something I didn't mention at the top, but like in those early days, because I know I did this where I went to the market and like my number one goal was to get Vicks. And there was no Vicks. No, (laughs) 
no Vicks because I couldn't find anything else. And I'm like, if I'm sick, I need my Vicks. But like when this guy's like putting the mic on you or whatever, are you just like reaching for the disinfectant wipes? Not like anything against him. I think we're all just scared of everything, right? I felt so bad because it wasn't against him. And that's exactly it. We're just all scared. So as soon as he walked out, yeah, you know, I was like, I went and I, you know, washed the part of my shirt, even though he had gloves on, you know, I like washed my hand. Just crazy, just like crazy. And, and you know, so it was, that was a little stressful. And then also, I mean, I don't know why that day, every plane in the world decided to fly over my house. And uh, I live by a dog park. Everybody brought their freaking dogs to the damn dog park. And I thought there was like a, I thought we're not supposed to be out. It was terrible. <laughs> if I hear barking dogs, I know, I'll know where they come from. My, my, my place, my neighborhood. Um, how, how do you think Penelope would handle the situation we're in? What would a day in her life look like? I mean, she's a nurse. I mean, if we're going to get real serious, I don't even know if where she works would even be open right now. Because, you know, if it's not life-threatening, a lot of these places are closed. These doctor's offices, just now they're starting to reopen. So let's say let's say they started to reopen and Penelope is at work. I think she would be extra super careful. I don't even think Schneider would be allowed in the, in the apartment, which would be really devastating for Schneider. Um, and I think that she would do what I do when I walk in the door. I swear to God, I take off all my clothes. I leave them right there. I come upstairs to take a shower. I was like, hell no, that is not getting on my clothes. <laughs> I'm like a freak like that. So I'm pretty sure that Penelope would get naked in the hallway <laughs> and Rita would be opening the door and Lydia would be taking the clothes and putting it in a bolsita. And then, you know, Penelope would, yes, we would be just like this. Now, the thing that would be interesting would to see how her children would act because this is really hard. And I, and I, and I really know it's hard for young, you know, for young kids. It's hard for them to understand. It's hard for them to want to stay in. And then you see where the Alvarez family lives. I mean, but I'm pretty sure the characters of Alex and Elena would be going nowhere. They would be on lockdown. Yes. Penelope would make sure of that. And so would Elena, by the way. Yes, she would. <laughs> it's 1945. Hitler is defeated. America is looking to outsmart a new enemy, the Soviet Union. To advance in rocketry, aviation, and chemical weapons, America recruits scientists and engineers who fueled the war machine of another nation, Nazi Germany. Operation Paperclip brought the Third Reich's most ingenious and often villainous men to the United States. The War Department thought if we let them go back to Germany, some other nation will pick them up and use them against us. His file said he was 100% Nazi, a dangerous type. Somehow, the file was changed and he came in. I'm Michael Ian Black. Join me and historian Monique Laney on the series Paperclip, funded by Amazon Studios and produced by LA Time Studios in support of the Emmy-eligible original drama series Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Lerman. Available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
let's get into the fourth season. I mean, the characters are going through a lot of changes. Penelope has, as we discussed, a new position as a nurse practitioner. And she sort of realizes that she doesn't need a partner in her life to live fully and, like, raise her children. Like, And she no longer feels broken, so to speak. How is it to play her now versus in season one? Um, It's just as exciting as it was in season one. And it's just as fulfilling. It's just as fantastic. I swear. I mean, it's the character has evolved the kind of way you want a character and a family and a story to evolve on a show. It doesn't feel stuck. Nothing feels stuck about one day at a time. And it's, it's, that's what's so beautiful about it. It's just flowing. It's great. And, and I'm just, I'm having a great time. And, and I think that from the beginning, when we first started the show, it felt like a family. And now the fourth season, it's still a family. The love has just grown and and my admiration of Penelope has grown. So it's it's been great. I mean, now that you're on a weekly release or were when the season was going, a lot of fans responded really well to this Max and Penelope development in terms of we can live apart. We don't need marriage. This is fine the way it's working for us. What did you think about that development in that relationship and how people responded to it? I think it's a very normal development that we don't see enough uh, representation of that kind of conversation, which is something interesting because I didn't think it was going to make such a wave. And people really did respond to it like, I'm so happy you said that. That's something. And we never really get to see that. And I, and I heard so much of that. And I thought, all right, you guys got it right again. You know, like the writers got it right once more. To me, that seemed like a very natural conversation. It's definitely a conversation I would have. Me, Justina, marriage is not that important to me. It's never been important to me. I I respect it and I think it's beautiful for people that have it. And, you know, I, I think it's great. It just never was something that was that thing for me. So to have those kind of conversations, uh, I love it because it represents women like myself. You know, and I know a lot of women who have been married and had wonderful marriages and they didn't work out for whatever reason. And and they, they'll say, I never want to get married again. I never want to do that again. I don't know why, but I mean, it just seems like it's kind of a normal thing. So it's really great to put that out there as opposed to constantly women having wanting to find somebody to validate them or find somebody to spend their lives with. And we're not saying that they're not validating each other and not spending their lives with each other. They're just not doing it in the way that that traditionally people thought that's the way love happens. So I think it's great to put that out there. Everything about her is is just full of love and compassion. And, you know, you just respect that character. She's so grounded. She really is. Well, another interesting approach the show took this season is in the Boundaries episode, which is so, so good. (laughs) It presented a sort of multi-generational way into the masturbation discussion. What went through your mind when you read that script for the first time? I thought it was great. I was really excited to do an episode like that. So I don't think I was more, I don't think I was shocked. I think it was like, oh my God, that's going to be so funny. Wait till Marcel hears. (laughs) I was more excited about his, you know, because he's a teenager and he's just like, ugh, like with everything, you know? So he, of course, was like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this. But I, I thought it, when I read it, I was very excited And again, I think that so many times we don't see 
women or mothers' sexuality. We just don't, especially mothers. Do you know what? Like we, they'll maybe go on a date or whatever, but we don't really, it's always in a pretty little package. If it's a mom that has kids, you know, because God forbid a mom has sexual feelings and all of these needs that the rest of the world has. So uh, I, I just thought it was great. I thought it was a beautiful conversation to have. And that's what I love about the show. But I feel like we do that so many times that it wasn't even anything that was, I can't believe we're doing this. I'm like, yes. This is good. We're, you know, we're doing what we do best. So I love it. Those kind of shows are, are what makes me excited to do this kind of show. For the listeners who didn't watch the episode, uh, why don't you explain what happens? The kids are going off to see a movie with my mother, Lydia. And I'm so excited because I'm having my own day to myself. As we all know, when we live with people, uh, we're like, yes, just me by myself. To watch Outlander. To watch Outlander. Yes. Uh, yeah, she loves her some Outlander. So to watch Outlander and she pours herself a nice glass of wine to watch Outlander. She goes into her bedroom to watch Outlander. <laughs> uh, her son forgets his, his phone. So he comes back in the house and he dials and he hears a bzz, bzz, bzz. And of course he thinks it's his phone and the bzz, bzz, bzz takes him into my room and then he sees something that no child should ever see. And that's his mother uh, masturbating uh, to, I guess, the guy at Outlander. I haven't seen that show. I have to see it. He must be really hot. <laughs> so I traumatize my child, but, but in Penelope style, she wants to talk about it because she needs her son to know that, hey, okay, that was horrific. I'm so sorry, but this is normal. And then here comes, of course, my fabulous Lydia, Rita Moreno, saying, no, it's not normal. Only sick, dirty, disgusting people do that. <laughs> and, you know, so it's just all of this thing, this generational thing, of course, with masturbation. And poor Alex in the uh, Marcel's character in the middle of it always with these three very outspoken women with no boundaries. It's so, so good. Are you nervous about the idea of going back into production? Like, I know you you guys had a sampling of what taping without an audience would be like. Are you open to the idea of continuing that way? Like, how do you think things will change? I will say this. I can't make any judgment. And I mean, I can't make any final says. But if I were to assume, I would assume that if we were lucky enough to go back at a certain time when it was safe, that we probably wouldn't have a studio audience for a very long time. I would assume that. And I think it would be the smartest thing to do. Unfortunately, I mean, as much as we love an audience, I know that we can still deliver the kind of show that you could watch at home without an audience. The last three episodes we did, in fact, had no audience because we didn't want anybody getting uh, sick. I am nervous about all of us going back. I just want all of us to be safe. That's the number one thing. I think we take it there one step at a time, right? It's like, how are we going to be safe? What are we going to do? Are there going to be tests? Are there going to be this? My show already is a skeleton crew already. I mean, it's just us when we're rehearsing. And then when we shoot, we have four camera guys. I mean, and, and a camera woman, thank God. You know, like we have a skeleton crew. So I don't know. That to me is the biggest thing is how do we do it safe? And when we do go back, I'm pretty sure. But like I said, I don't have the last word. I'm pretty sure that we wouldn't have an audience for a while. 
Caitlin, you were supposed to direct this season. Is that something you hope will happen once things return to normal? Are you a little nervous about that? Trying it this way? At this point, I'm not nervous because if I suck, that'll just be me because literally this is the longest prep anybody has ever had. (laughs) Because I was supposed to direct the episode right before we got quarantined. That was my episode. So um, no, I'm not nervous about it. I feel, I'm telling you, this... I don't think anything has been as scary as this for me in a very long time about what's happening in the world. So I I feel like I can do anything and you can do anything and any of us can do anything. This has also made me feel that way again, to remind myself that we can do anything. Well, in the spirit of Penelope being sort of like an exemplary TV mom, who were some of the TV moms that helped raise you growing up? Oh, wow. I loved Felicia Rashad on The Cosby Show. I just loved her. I I mean, I think that that's probably the number one mom. And believe it or not, when I was really little, my God, did I love the Brady Bunch. They were all like reruns. But I swear I wanted to live in that Brady Bunch house. I wanted Alice and the mom and the dad and everybody. So I'd say like the Brady Bunch mom and Felicia Rashad. (laughs) The way Felicia Rashad speaks or spoke on that show, like I would just always try to like mimic like how poised she was. And how how you didn't mess with her and how she had it together. Like honestly, the best, one of the best TV moms ever, Felicia Rashad, for sure. Well, that's why it's been great to see you present such a recognizable portrait of a Latina mom. At least it was recognizable for me. Um, And a lot of that comes from the show having Latino writers on staff and Gloria Calderon-Kellett, the co-showrunner, is Latina and a mom. So for you, what's it like playing a Latina character that has been shaped by Latinos? It's a completely different experience. I've never had an experience like this ever. You know, I definitely and I always say this, I have definitely been very blessed in this career but absolutely, I've had way more less opportunities than than a white actress would have. Absolutely. That's not even a question. Anybody that would say different is cray cray because it's like, I know what my career has been. I see my colleagues. I'm grateful that we're still around. All my girls that have that since we were here from the beginning, we're still doing well. But none of us have gotten the opportunities that we could have gotten had we not been Latina. And, and that's just the truth. You know, there are some people that break those barriers. I'm hoping more of us do now. So how incredible to be a part of a show where I know every, I get it. Like, I get it. Like, you, I don't sit there reading and go, oh, my God, are these people for real? <laughs> like, I'm going to have to have this conversation. And then you have to be very delicate about that conversation. Because even though you know what you're talking about, you're coming up against people who maybe think they know a little bit better. And I'm not saying any of it is malicious or any of it is is on purpose. I'm just saying those are difficult conversations to have because we don't only have Latina writers or Latino writers. We also have we have an African-American writer. We have white writers. Sometimes it'll be like, "Mm, I don't know about this. They listen. Right. They get it. They understand that I have lived in this body for uh, many years and that I have been only Latina. And so they're so receptive and it's so incredible that Gloria is at the helm of this character because I have never had to roll my eyes and go, oh, my God, now I got to talk to them about this stupid shit. You know what I mean? 
-hmm. It is nothing I've ever experienced. But now after this, it's kind of the only experience I want to have. I I can't let you go without asking about the diehard fans of Penelope and Schneider. They're, they're, you know, people ship them. And I, I know Mike had tweeted about that first episode when you guys have that embrace or something, how the, the audience went crazy. What do you think about like the way people really wanted that relationship or have hopes for that relationship happening? I think it's because it's what they've always seen on in film and TV. It's so formulaic for those two characters that are like always at each other to come together. I will say this. I never thought that I, I it's just because it's what people are used to. That's all it is. But this character, these characters are so much better as friends. I remember loving Moonlighting, loving Moonlighting. But as soon as uh, Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd got together, I was like, ugh, whatever. Like, that's how I felt. Like, I loved the tension that they had. And I still watch the show because it was one of my favorite shows. But I just think it's expected and it's just not as interesting as two friends just really being friends, which you and I know, and uh, uh, most of the world knows, I, you know, all that bull crap when they're like, Girl, men and women can't be friends. It's like, all right, all right, whatever. <laughs> so we're showing them that, yes, um, indeed, they can be friends. And we have many male friends. And he and I are brother and sister. And we're always going to have each other's back. And that is such a more interesting dynamic than the expected. My final question actually comes from our previous guest, who is Tom Pelfrey. He appeared in the third season of Ozark. And here's what he wanted to know from you. What's her checklist for wanting to take a job? Ooh, what is my checklist for wanting to take a job? Uh, well, assuming I'm in a good position, because actors have been in positions where you got to throw that checklist out because you're like, oh, wow, I ain't had a job in a long time. So let's say I'm now in my checklist. The character has to have integrity. The character has to have depth. The character has to have an arc. And the character has to has to mean something and say something. And it doesn't matter how big the part is or how small the part is or how unimportant it is, because we always think, oh, man, this is nothing. Actors do that all the time. I do it, too. So I'm guilty of saying, oh, I'm not really in that. I have like a little part, which, you know, that's what we're trained to think. That's what we're trained to say. And then you look and you're like, no, that was integral. That was an amazing. And that was important to the story. So all of those things. I don't need to be the like the most likable person. It doesn't matter as long as it's layered, there's integrity, and there is absolutely no freaking stereotype to it. Amen. <laughs> well, <laughs> our next guest is funny man Danny McBride of HBO's The Righteous Gemstones. What question do you have for him about anything at all? He's so funny. I love his hair. I love the guy. So yes, I want to know, is this a Danny McBride choice or is this a character choice? Or, or if that's his hair all the time. And either way, it's brilliant. <laughs> I will definitely, definitely ask him that question. Well, Justina, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, we appreciate it. Thank you, Yvonne. Bye. That's it for the 12th episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heinsen, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and a special shout out to Elena Howe for booking the guests for this podcast. Come back next week. We're talking to actor Danny McBride. You know, I wanted to do something like 
what Sopranos did. It's like, there's not a big comment on the mafia there. It's just setting a story about a family that takes place in this world that a lot of people don't know about. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.